Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 147, and today's guest is Eric Keller, founder and CEO of Mabel. Inspiration for a business idea can come from the most unique scenarios. Case in point, take Eric, who as a serial tech entrepreneur, decided to purchase a small town grocery store in Vermont at Sugarbush. And pretty much everyone, for good reason, as I would have told him the same thing, was that he was absolutely crazy and it was just an overall bad idea. Well, this crazy idea turned into the inspiration that led him down the path of starting Mabel. As he was getting into the weeds of running a local grocery store, he discovered how archaic this industry was in terms of ordering processes, which was still done over phone, text, or email. His latest company is Mabel, which is modernizing the ordering process with an enterprise-level B2B e-commerce platform to simplify wholesale in the grocery and convenience industry. The company recently announced a $3 million seed round of funding led by Venrock, Accomplice, and Founder Collective. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Eric's career and his different roles in numerous successful startups, including the story of how his company was acquired by Ware, which was then acquired by PayPal just months later. The aha moment that led him to start Mabel and the details on the company, tips on what makes a great product manager, advice for first-time founders on raising capital, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. If you have been enjoying the VentureFizz podcast, then please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. The more reviews we have, the more that people will discover these amazing stories about entrepreneurs across the Boston and New York entrepreneurial ecosystems. Thanks in advance. I appreciate it. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Eric. Eric, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm psyched to catch up. Yeah, so there's a lot to talk about. You've uh, started companies. You've been part of some amazing teams that lots of people know about in the Boston tech scene. Uh, so you're definitely a, a serial entrepreneur at, at its truest sense. Um, so you know, might as well you know get into into the weeds because we got a lot of companies to kind of to work through, including the current company you're up to now. So uh, let's talk about the foundational years. So so where did you grow up? You know, what were you like as a kid? Yeah, let's see. Grew up in southern New Hampshire, small town oh. Atkinson, New Hampshire. Atkinson, okay. I grew up in Hooksit, so. Oh, funny. Excellent. Yep. yep. Um, so yeah, small town. Uh, spent my days as a kid riding bikes outside and building stuff. Um, family owned a family owned business, uh, which is a woodworking business. So I spent my teen years kind of working at that. And uh, I taught you work ethic, didn't it? Yes, absolutely. My first job was cleaning the bathrooms at the shop. Me too. Me too. So my dad had a leather coat factory in Manchester in the mill buildings. And my first job when I, I think I was probably like nine years old or something was cleaning leather coat scraps, the yeah. bathrooms, all like the, the, the sewing yeah. machines, like all the thread, like it was just incredible work. Ethic. We went from bathrooms to then you got promoted to sanding. So, you know, put the mask on and sand and stain wood. For eight hours a day so yes it was it was i love it they still have the so it's an amazing business today lots of technology applied to it my brother runs it and, oh. uh, nostalgic to go back there very cool so so why did you decide to uh go to uvm and and what did you study there let's see uvm you know grew up on the east coast went to high school at st john's prep and um wanted to kind of think stick in new england grew up skiing a lot and being outdoors and so it was one of those schools I visited up in Burlington, kind of fell in love with, and it was a perfect fit. Uh, small, you know, just the right size, studied business administration, spent a semester in Spain um, my junior year, and uh, just loved it. It was a great experience. 
Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's definitely a great school. Yes. Uh, actually, uh, you know, my, my daughter's a sophomore, so she's a little early, but we're, we're thinking UVM might be a place for her to check out. So we'll my see. My daughter's a sophomore as well, looking at the same school. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So after graduation, what did you do first? First jobs? Oh boy. After graduation, I, um, I chased my now wife, then girlfriend to Chicago and worked for uh, Hyatt Hotels. I worked at the international headquarters. Uh, back then I was privately owned um, property management company run by the Pritzkers and spent three years fortunate enough to kind of travel the world and doing database marketing, loyalty program marketing and rolling out their loyalty program across the, across the world. So I was, was very lucky to at such a young, early age, be exposed to this, you know, really well-run international management company um, with lots of great perks, of course, in the hotel space. Yeah, and it seems like that was a good foundation for what you ended up doing with some of the, the startups you were part of afterwards. Yeah. So yeah. What, what did that initial experience teach you? Yeah, um, you know, it was a very data-driven organization, uh, particularly when you're rolling out a a loyalty program. These are like you know, points-based programs that you know provide incentives for you know consumers to do things like stay at stay at more and more hotels. And so it was a um, very analytical role. And a wonderful first boss. You know, she she taught me a lot about the foundational um, things that um, go into database marketing. Uh, so yeah, I think it sort of honed my analytical skills uh, that I still apply today to sort of everything I'm doing. Okay, so the journey into entrepreneurship, yeah. how did all that come together? Because, you know, now we're going to create, you know, a whole synopsis of different companies and startups. Yeah. yeah, so let's see, three years after that, this is back in 2000, I'm dating myself, you know, uh, internet is starting to ramp up just before it kind of crashed in, in early 2000, had some friends that had started a venture capital company and went to work for a small company called Mind Branch, which is a, a market research aggregator as a it's interesting, it's sort of similar to this business I'm building right now. We're bringing a lot of suppliers onto one platform so that we can enable businesses to more easily procure all of their research. Hmm. And spent three years as its VP of marketing. The internet sort of, you know, the internet um, crash in 2000 impacted a lot of early stage startups at that, uh, that time. And um, the board came to me, I think I was 28 years old, and was like, hey, you want to try to save this thing? And we were 20 employees, and I remember it was my first sort of first experience in having to cut costs and manage, you know, a business with what we had. You know, we sort of had like, I don't know, half a million dollars left in the bank and spent two years turning it around, and we landed some big accounts and then ended up selling the business in 2006 to a company called marketresearch.com. So it's, it's interesting. I was sort of thinking about going back and getting my MBA, and then I got asked to, to sort of take the reins of this small, struggling startup. And I'd say it was sort of two years of of getting my MBA, uh, and then some. It was such a, such a great experience, um, you know, trying to take a business that was losing money and didn't have a lot of customers to you know hiring better people and building a better product. And and eventually we you know we we call it a save. You know, it wasn't a home run, but yeah. We saved the business and the investors were happy. Got it. So then what did you do after that? And I went to work for another startup, moved back to the Boston area, a company called DNS Stuff. It was this um, platform that helped IT managers and IT folks better understand their email infrastructure and DNS infrastructure. 
freemium model, spent three years there, um, ramped it up to a subscription model uh, that we sold into as a sort of per user subscription and ended up selling that business to a company called Solar Winds, which mm -hmm. is actually local, backed by Bain here in Boston. Um, and let's see, then I decided to start my own company. Uh, I started a company called Local Ginger. Right, and, and this is 2009, right after the financial crash of Q4 2008. So uh, bold yes. move to, to start a company. Yeah, you know, three kids, mortgage, and <laughs> go start a company. My, my wife's been very supportive of all these things. And so, yeah, not a lot of, you know, no dental insurance and things like that. Um, Self-funded it uh, with, a, with a friend of mine. And we set out to build a, a, um, a local advertising platform for small businesses. I think I've always loved small businesses. I grew up around a small business and so I've always loved local and still to this day, it seems like no one's really cracked local from a commerce standpoint. And so um, started that business, ramped it up. We had 300 businesses, um, tens of thousands of, of consumers. It sort of pivoted into a similar sort of to the daily deals models that were out there like Groupon and others. Um, we were a little bit more mobile focused out of the gate and then met um, some folks over at Ware which was a Boston-based mobile advertising network um, and sold the business to Ware in 2010, uh, end of 2009. And then um, three months later, PayPal came along and bought Ware. So I went from like, you know, not eight employees, not making much money, barely paying myself, no dental insurance to Ware, which was an amazing group of people. Um, they had been at it for a while. They built that business over six or seven years before they sold it. Joined a fantastic executive team there, um, which was, um, you know, obviously six, seven thousand people. So it was a bit of a, um, a bit of a transition. Um, and I spent four years at, uh, at PayPal. Got it. Yeah. I didn't know it was, it was uh, three months after you had sold local ginger to, uh, yeah, just three or four months. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Three or four months. Yeah. That's quick. It was, it was. But yeah, the where team, you know, I've, you know, David Chang was on the podcast before and the, you know, there's so many great people that are in the Boston tech ecosystem that are all alumni. And what I just have always applauded about the group of, of, of people is how everyone has supported each other, um, you know, with other startups and funding and, and, you know, angel activity. I think there's even, I don't know if it still exists, but there was even like a where like investment funds. Yes. Uh, yeah. So. We created the small where angels group. Angels Group, yeah. And uh, made 10 or 12 investments. David um, and David's wife was running that. So that was great. And you're right. Um, it's it, I was so fortunate to join this group of eight or nine people who had been together for six or seven years. And um, and I yeah, stayed close friends with them. Actually, in fact, one of the main mobile developers from Ware is sitting right outside of here. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, by the name of Jared Egan, who's one of Ware's first mobile developers. And so... Wow. That's great. So what was your role after the acquisitions at, at PayPal and, um, you know, kind of what, what, what did you learn there? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I was the head of product for uh, demand generation group. So PayPal, well, eBay, PayPal was you know, under the eBay umbrella. eBay had spent, you know, $3 billion in acquisitions uh, over the previous two years, sort of building this omni-channel shopping foundation. You know, um, everything from Red Laser to Milo to, to us as, you know, where mobile net ad network and they're working on offline payments as well. They just didn't want to be just an online payments provider. They wanted to move offline. So uh, attracting businesses and um, figuring out how we can help 
merchants advertising advertise their products to PayPal um, users, the 170 million PayPal users, is what the demand generation group is charged with. And so, you know, at the end of the day, PayPal is a payments business. And so we are all working on things that we're trying to, you know, grow their, uh, their consumer base and grow their merchant base. And I loved it. It was a great company. Um, it was actually about a year in, um, David Marcus, who's now the head of, was the head of messenger for Facebook and is now the, um, running their crypto uh, division for Zuckerberg. He stepped in and really helped PayPal become a product centric organization and a product led organization. And when I, you know, before that, when I joined, it was very much of a, an engineering led organization. Mm, and, uh, it was quite a transition to watch the, the company go through because it became very much about user experience. And, you know, I don't know if you remember PayPal six years ago, like the user experience was terrible. Oh yeah. Don't even get me started because like, so for um, transaction processing, just for job board postings back in the day for venture fizz, it was PayPal. Yeah. And yeah, the experience was just like, what oh. is this? <laughs> it's awful. Right. <laughs> And you know, there's still they still have plenty of challenges, but boy, the company's doing well, and um, it was just a great time to be there to go through that transition um, as a product person. You know, it's funny. I, my first product title wasn't until I sold my business to Wear. Um, mm. It was been kind of entrepreneurial and operations and marketing, and you know, the CEO at, at Wear was like, "You're going to be the head of product for this," you know, and that sort of transitioned into the head of product for demand generation at PayPal. So I had a lot to learn. And that's where I sort of honed my product skills. And to this day, I'm, I'm not the best product person. That's why I have a, a wonderful product person that we just hired, um, also from PayPal, uh, ah. that's here with us at Mabel. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, so uh, another stop along the way. So confirm.io. Yes. Um, so so what, was the, what was that product all about? Yeah, so um, left uh, PayPal after four years and joined up with... Um, couple of guys that I worked with in the past who were uh, starting to work on a mobile identity platform. Uh, it was essentially uh, a mobile technology that enabled a consumer or anyone to scan either their driver's license or their passport. And we would run a set of forensic tests on that, um, that credential and validate if it was, val if it was real uh, and authentic and not fake. And then we layered in technology where you could also take a photo of yourself and we could do a match between what's on the driver's license or passport and the person taking the photo. And so we essentially were offering it as a set of APIs and SDKs that, you know, more regulated industries like banking and insurance and others, even Uber drivers maybe, um, could use to prove that a consumer is who they say they are. Hmm. And you know, I don't need to tell you, like in the last, you know, seven or eight years, all the data breaches and, you know, the, the amount of authentication today that relies on self-attested data, you know, data that you're giving a website or, you know, things like who's your second grade teacher, all those you know, the KBA knowledge-based questions and answers are all, are all not a great way to validate someone is who they say they are. And so um, we were making some great traction and, uh, we, um, we were eventually acquired by Facebook. Um, it was, I can talk about most of it. It was a, it was a, it was a fantastic experience. You know, 
it's not a secret that Facebook was going through and still is, uh, um, you know, the challenges with validating, you know, certain advertisers and, you know, um, sort of bad players on their, on their, on their platform. And so we you know, were part of a number of initiatives they were working on and still are working on to roll up and, and layer better identity into their onboarding flows and when you're going to pay for advertising and when you're going to maybe sign up as a merchant. And so, yeah, it was, it was a great run as two and a half years. Um, and I actually left, uh, after that deal and, um, segued onto the next door. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, this is the point in the conversation where the record scratches. Yeah. <laughs> because you decided at this point to go purchase a independently owned grocery store in, in Sugar, Sugar Bush, Vermont. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. I did what most people do and then take a couple months off. I went and bought a rundown grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so obviously you love to ski. So I was like, Hey, you know what? Going to be skiing up there anyway. So might as well, um, yeah. just get my feet wet in the grocery industry. Yeah. So I, you know, I live in Newburyport, uh, Massachusetts. We've been skiing up in Vermont for the last five years and the Facebook deal was fantastic and had a, you know, um, a great run there. And I just said to my wife, like, I need to take a couple months off, you know, I'm never going to be able to do this again. Um, you know, took a ride up to our place up in Vermont and and saw that this little, you know, local market was for sale and it had been on and off for sale for the last few years. And one of those places you drive by, you know, famous last words, that, that could be such a cool little place. Um, it's <laughs> mostly sold Mountain Dew and Bud Light and, you know, candy bars. And so um, long story short, after asking, you know, multiple people in retail, should I do this? And they said no. And talking to my wife who said, you're crazy. Um, I bought it about a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> like, Everyone's like, no, you're like, I'm in. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Like, how hard can it be? Um, and so, you know, again, back to sort of, I've always loved local. I've always loved small businesses. I've always loved retail. I thought, hey, I could come in here, fix this place up. I looked at the numbers. I was very data-driven. I looked at all the history, number of customers, average transaction. What if I get the average transaction up a certain percentage and bring all the data and PMLs? And, and so... Um, so yeah, it was, uh, you know, three hours away. So I hired a GM and the interesting thing was, you know, six months into it, I was finding tech solutions for a lot of the problems. So, you know, we needed a new point of sale system. And so I installed Square and, you know, Square today is this beautiful, elegant, very user-friendly point of sale system. Um, we needed to cut down on bookkeeping. So we integrated Square with QuickBooks. We needed to do better marketing. So I Instagram and Facebook. Um, but where it came down to where we spent all of our money on inventory is a complete mess. And I can dive as deep into this as you like, but you know, um, lots of these independently owned stores across the country, of which there are 140,000 independently owned grocery convenience, natural food health stores. Um, the way they buy inventory is mainly phone, email, and text. And some of it's from distributors and some of it's directly from suppliers. And um, it became the hardest part of the business. And so I started working on this concept that we're, that we're working on today. So how many SKUs that, like, did your grocery store have, like just for perspective? I mean, it's a 3,000 square foot store, three little aisles, you know. So we have aisles of grocery. We have craft beer, wine, cheese. You used to not have a lot of that stuff. We brought in a lot of new products. And as we differentiated and brought in all these emerging products and emerging brands, we found ourselves 
instead of buying from like two distributors and three or four direct suppliers, we found ourselves buying from nine distributors and 20 direct suppliers. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden for this little business with nine employees, you know, we or eight employees, we spent Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or every other Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, ordering from 30 different companies. And in that industry, ordering means pulling up a PDF order form, flipping through a catalog, you know, holding your ruler so you can see the skew and texting and emailing and phoning in orders. <laughs> phoning in tens and ten, there's tens of thousands of dollars per month of orders that were happening in this sort of archaic way. And so I went to talk to a bunch of other retailers and kind of validated the problem, which is, you know, we increasingly are looking for emerging brands and emerging products. These stores have to, to compete with, with Amazon and Walmart and others. Um, they're increasingly buying inventory direct, which means I buy it and it gets shipped directly to the store. It doesn't go to a warehouse and then onto a truck and then to our store. Um, the distributors still play a big role. You know, it's how food's been delivered for a hundred years. You know, it's in warehouses and it gets broken down into smaller cases and delivered. And so we're trying to essentially build a commerce platform um, that connects brands and retailers and distributors in the, in the food and beverage and grocery space. And um, so yeah, I'll, you know, tell you the whole story of how we kind of. Well, yeah. So, so you kind of figured out like, wait a second, you know, you're, you're obviously a technology, you know, entrepreneur. So you're like there, this is a problem. There's, so then you probably scoped out the market. Like, is there, a, you know, I could solve this by building something for myself, but there's probably an actual product here that could be used by all these independent it's, grocery and health stores. Does. Yes. And so we said that we did exactly that. We set out, um, to talk to more retailers and validate the problem. We then spent a lot of time on the supplier side and you know, understood how brands and suppliers build their businesses and how they opt to use distributors or sell directly to retailers and um, the, the sort of lack of technology that existed and still exists. You know, a lot of the, these brands build websites to sell directly to consumers. And so um, this, there was a, what we couldn't find is this very easy, B2B commerce platform to enable, to essentially bring all the revenue and order that's happening to bring it online because we call it sort of offline. It was, it was phone, text, and email. And so, yeah, once we validated the problem on both sides, spent, you know, the first part of this year, um, January through May, working pretty collaboratively and closely with, you know, a handful of investors that I've known and, and worked with and, and one that's new. Um, and, it took a couple rounds, you know, we, we, um, uh, now how, let's talk about that whole piece yeah. because I think this is fascinating. So yeah. you're, um, you know, you, you've got credibility, right? You've built a company, you sold it, you've been part of other exits. Um, so just through your network, you knew some investors that you probably would want to work with and you worked with them to kind of like flush out your idea more of like, Hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking. I think there's something here yeah. and you with these investors to kind of help you think through things a bit? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I like to say I've always been in my, in, I've been in a lot of startups up until now. I've always been the promise keeper as a product guy. I've always been like the third or fourth guy in who comes in and, you know, maybe the money is being raised or it has been raised. And I come in and say, holy crap, you said we're going to build what, you know, and we go, we go and try to build it. Um, and now I was out sort of being the promise maker, um, which is, you know, I've, I've identified this problem. 
I think the market's very large. And yes, we, we started working with Accomplice pretty early on, uh, Ryan Moore over at Accomplice, who I'd met at Ware, um, who had invested in a similar business, but in the restaurant space recently called Chef Hero um, and led their Series A. And then um, met up with Mike Terrell at Benrock, who was also a Ware investor, um, but kept in touch with. And he liked it. You know, we honestly we originally set out to raise less money. Um, and after meeting and spending some time with Accomplice and Renrock, we ended up sort of thinking we could move faster with a little bit more money. And then uh, throughout that process, I met with you know seven other investors as well, um, some of which passed, and you know some of which wanted to come in at the end, but we couldn't fit them in. And then I teamed up with uh, Eric Paley over at Founder Collective toward the end, and, and they came in uh, right at the end. So ended up you know between January and May it took a while. Um, you know January we had our first meeting or maybe in fe middle of February and we closed, you know, June 1. So it's a, it can be a lengthy process. Um, but we, you know, we wanted to find the right investors. We wanted <clears throat> to make sure we were on the right track and we were raising the right amount of money. And, um, and yeah, so I'd say, you know, we, we ended up with three of the you know, top investors in Boston, although I had to say no to a, to a few others that we really would have liked to work with. But so over that stretch of time during the fundraising process, like what, what were you actually doing as far as, um, you know, either building out the product, yeah. uh, maybe getting early adopters, starting to build a team? Like, and at, at what point did you connect with Eric Karlstrom, who's your co-founder? Yeah. yeah, pretty early. I'd say, you know, March or so, you know, a lot of the investors, the first few investors I met with um, were sort of like, hey, we love this. We love that you're solving a problem that you are knee deep in. We love that you went and bought a grocery store, although we think you're crazy. Um, but you know, we loved also to see you know technical co-founders early in this process, and which I knew and was sort of on the hunt for one. And then um, it just struck me. I mean, I've known Eric for nine years or so. We just never had an opportunity to work together. We've kind of tried here and there for the last nine years, and you know, because we knew each other and the same network of, of friends, pretty quickly recognized that he'd be a perfect fit. And not only that, he was a more perfect fit uh, as, uh, because he came from, he was at Sideline Swap, which was a, essentially a marketplace for secondhand sporting goods. And so right. his marketplace DNA, plus just all of his early stage CTO DNA was perfect. Right. Um, and he's fantastic. And, uh, and so he joined in, in um, you know, March or so, and um, it's, been, it's been great. So then it's like, okay, we're, we're building product. Once he's on, on board, it's like, like let's, yeah, let's go. So we were kind of prototyping, essentially building sort of, you know, basic foundational commerce technology where we could you know, onboard a brand and onboard a retailer and create a transaction and, you know, demonstrating to the investors during the fundraising process that we were starting to prototype, uh, demonstrating that we were talking to retailers, which we were essentially lining up beta customers you know, during fundraising so that we could, and these, you know, this, that process was telling our story and getting these retailers to, um, you know, devote some time to us to help shape the, you know, the message and the product. Uh, the, the, the problem was very well um, sort of received whenever we pitched it to retailers and then spent some time with the brands and the suppliers as well. So yeah, during fundraising, we were certainly spending, I guess, most of our time talking to, um, future customers and making sure we weren't crazy uh, because you can it's so easy to get wrapped up in your own ideas pretty quickly. You know, you, you hear a couple, 
you know, positive uh, comments and, and um, from some early sales pitches, but you really got to consistently, you know, engage and, and um, have continuous dialogue so that you be learning and build, you know, be building the right product. Yeah. So don't just like drink your own Kool-Aid and yes. get one or two proof points that you're on the right track, whereas the market might feel otherwise. Exactly. Yes. And that's easy to do for early stage startups. I've done it before, you know, uh, but that was important. It's just stay in touch with the customers. And, you know, I think the investors really valued the fact that, um, that we'd spent so much time really laying out a set of brands and a set of retailers that were ready to come on board the platform once we had built what we promised. So where's the business now? Like uh, you did announce, so 3.1 million is the total amount that you've raised so far. Yes. Yeah. So we, where, where is the business now as far as, you know, the platform, like, what do you, like, has, has things evolved? Like, like the core pieces of what you've aimed to do, is that still consistent? Yeah. So, um, we closed June one, we got our first few employees on, took us about six weeks. So mid July, um, our goal was to run our first dollar through the system our first real transaction within 90 days uh, which we achieved you know three two three weeks ago so um you know we we built an amazing team easily the best team i've ever worked with um we have folks from paypal and gas buddy we have folks from uh, we just hired a head of design from uh, wayfair we just hired a senior um, a marketing manager from easy cater and so we've really assembled, um, a, you know, a team that has early stage DNA, has POS, point of sale DNA, has commerce, mobile, retail, and it's fun. The, the sort of, um, you know, initiation to join is we take a ride up to the store and we spend the day in the store and, you know, they can really see the, the, the problems that we're trying to solve with our platform. So yeah, started building in July and we waited until we really had a product to, to at least demonstrate before we announced and sent out our press release about three weeks ago. Uh, we have about 60 suppliers and brands that have joined the platform um, in the last you know, 10 weeks, um, 20 in the last two weeks. And so we're just now sending our first round of email campaigns and our first round of phone calls to retailers. And so we spent really spent the first 90 days working with those early beta customers and some of these early brands that were adopters and just getting as much feedback as we could to ensure that our V1 was a viable product. Well, I think what's, what you mentioned as far as building the team, what's, what's really cool when, when I heard the companies you were mentioning is the amount of um, you know, domain experience that does exist in Boston now. And you talked about you know, Easy Cater, which is at super scale now, and Gas Buddy, which is a, you know, a, a sizable company, uh, you know, Wayfair, which is monster company. So there's so much like just domain experience now in marketplaces and e-commerce and consumer now that just, you know, Boston used to get kicked around 10 years ago. There was no experience yes. in the area. Yeah. I mean, we, yes, I totally agree. I mean, we've had, and you know, the PayPal and, and where network has certainly helped me keep in touch with a lot of these folks. And, um, we, 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 we've managed to pull together quite an amazing group. So, um, I totally agree. It's, it's changed quite a bit in the last 10 years. Now, how are you, how are you going about like the, the go to market? Cause there is two sides to what you're doing. Yes. Uh, so, so how do you kind of build out both sides and like, do you build one 
first over yeah. the other? That's always the chicken and egg. Great question. Yeah, you know, we, you know, we, we're part marketplace, um, but we actually like to say we're we're more a procurement platform. And so, you know, we're trying to go into businesses and, you know, help them identify, or which is very easy. You know, we went into a, a local grocery store uh, a couple weeks ago, and they have 317 suppliers. And so, you know, they now they don't buy from every one of those every week, but let's say they buy from 120 of them, you know, every two weeks. That's a lot. And so we're essentially trying to, not trying, we're building a platform that they can bring those brands and suppliers on board to Mabel. We are getting very good at ingesting a tremendous amount of SKUs and variants and product data and making them more easily, um, uh, make it more easy to order. And, you know, that eventually means, you know, it's funny, I was at my store a couple weeks ago and there's this empty box of Taza chocolate on the, on the shelf. I've told the story a handful of times. And, you know, I walked by it a couple of times. I watched my buyer walk by it a couple of times. And, you know, what, ha- what used to happen is you'd write down a piece of paper and you'd go back to your computer and you'd find the Taza chocolate order. Um, and, you know, in four weeks when we launch our mobile app, you'll be able to scan the UPC code and add it to your cart. You know, things that you, sh- you think should have existed, they, they haven't, and so, except for some of the big distributors. And so, um, so yeah, you know, go to market for us, um, was we needed to get a base <clears throat> of brands signed up because you're right. There's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem here. We don't want retailers showing up and there's nothing there. So we started bringing on brands and we'll be, we'll, we'll probably hit 200 brands by the end of the year. But now we're having those meaningful conversations, which are, Hey, there's 60 really interesting brands that have signed up in the first few weeks that you can discover. But our real goal is for us to help you do all, all of your more and more of your ordering all in one place. And the byproduct of that is this marketplace where you can discover new products to bring into your store. Um, you know, go to market. These, these businesses, as you know, are, they're busy. They're, they're busy store owners. <clears throat> they're hard to get to. Um, that said, you know, we're not selling them a piece of software. We're, you know, offering a platform where they can bring on their suppliers. And then we're sort of a traditional distributor model. And so we make money on the brand side. So when we bring a new retailer to a brand, and we take a, a percentage of, of that revenue. And so it's a really low risk for both sides to come onto the platform. And we're seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of positive response in our early marketing and early uh, sales conversations. So after confirm.io, you know, you were like, okay, I'm going to go buy this grocery business. Do you think you were also like, hey, I'm looking for my next idea, like you were going to do another startup? Yes. Like, yeah, that was yeah. at least how I... I justified it with my wife, um, but yeah, you know, this might help me think of my next idea. And I, yep. I keep saying it, but I, I've always gravitated toward these small businesses. And you know, the, the, the mobile advertising business I started in 2009 was SMB focused. And so, yeah, I thought there, you know, there must be something there for me to sink my teeth into. Um, but it took a while, you know, because I kept finding those tech solutions for those areas I gravitated towards, like POS and marketing and scheduling software, but. I stepped back and said, holy, holy cow, like where we spend all of our money is where the biggest problem was. And that's when it hit me. Yeah. Like I'm obviously not a venture capitalist, but if I was, I would absolutely look for entrepreneurs that are approaching a problem like you are, that you found an issue that can be solved through technology versus an entrepreneur that's just thinking about how they should, you know, the world needs a better something and you don't know if that's an actual problem, right? So. Yeah, yeah, the um, that's why I say it's it was a good bad idea. Um, you know, and uh, it's a bad idea, but yes, these stores, 
they're hard to run. They're labor intensive, wow. they're low margin. Um, they need to adopt technology. And, and many store owners are recognizing that the technology is catching up enough that it's easy to deploy. Um, so, but it turned out to be a great decision because it led to what we're doing today. And um, we think we're building a platform that can really help these stores save money. I mean, save, you know, labor is a big, it's one of the only costs you can control um, in retail. And so we can help really create efficiencies that help these stores. And so that's, um, that's a sort of feel good piece of that. So you mentioned you hired a, a great product person. So uh, what do you think uh, you know, makes a great product manager? It's a good question. Um, you know, it's, I, I, when I was sort of trying to hone my product skills from 2010 when I hit PayPal for the next sort of four years, you know, I, I, there's a lot of, you know, sort of training and discipline being instilled in, in sort of what we're doing, what we're doing. But it sounds cliche. I, I always keep coming back to the sort of fundamentals, which is like understanding the customer and a customer problem um, and continuously and not just doing that once, but, you know, it's such a fluid process and understanding the market and ensuring that there's product market fit and you know putting the consumer hat on and uh, it sounds so obvious but it's the most important thing in product <clears throat> is um you know really understanding what you're trying to solve and um you know it's interesting that uh, the other thing with 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 product folks um is in especially in early stage startups like ours <clears throat> you're you're getting hit in all directions from idea with ideas. You know, we're out now, and we call it, I call it sort of the honeymoon phase. Like we raise money, we have this great team, we're talking to customers, we're getting tons of great feedback. But you know, the product person, in this case, Lucy on our team, is has one of the hardest jobs, which is you gotta say no to a lot of things because you just don't have the resources or the validation to be doing a lot of things that might be coming up with a transom. And so that's where I think startups sort of sink or swim. And so I've spent many years being what I call Dr. No at startups, which is like, you just gotta say no to a lot of things until you sort of ruthlessly, you know, um, understand them and prioritize them and stack rank them. And I think that's a really important piece of a product, of the product role. Um, that I think is underestimated and super critical at, at our stage. Now you've raised capital. So um, what advice would you give to other you know, founders, you know, their first time going through raising capital. So you've been through it multiple times. So yeah. what advice would you give to the, the first time founders? Yeah, I would say, you know, it's not easy. Um, uh, you know, I, I had my first great conversation in February and I closed June one. And so, you know, these things don't happen quickly. Um, you know, you really need to build trust and a relationship with your investors. And I think that's really, really important. Um, there's a lot of money on the sidelines, but I think it's critical to, to find investors that are super passionate about what you're doing and can be very helpful in what you're doing. Um, and, you know, I think it's also important to start to build an early team that's helping you through this process because it's an emotional roller coaster, you know, in February I had a great meeting with the accomplice and thought I was done. And then a month later, you know, I thought maybe I couldn't find another syndicate. And then a month later, you know, two months later I was oversubscribed. And so, you know, having a team to kind of share this with is really important, both 
fundraising and the stage we're at right now because as you know like these startups are, are full of ups and downs and so you know getting a, a close team that are really and they're really lifelong friends that you're building um, to go through it with you is, is super important don't rush hires you know we're, we're, our last hire right now we have our 10th hires our head of sales and we're behind you know and and it's something that's so would be so easy to rush especially with sales because it's so important but um we're just taking our time and we've had a couple of candidates where we're just they're not a culture fit or they don't have this or they don't have that and so we're making those decisions together um you know it's a big part of startups and so getting that early team um that you know a trusted group of your friends essentially your friends uh, around the table is uh, you know pays dividends well, that's a problem that I'm sure keeps a lot of entrepreneurs awake at night, especially the early stages like your business, where, you know, if you don't have the team to execute on the plan, it's stressful and you might be likely to just um, make a, a rash decision versus the right decision right. on hiring. So, so how do you kind of work through that of like the business needs this, we need to get to plan and execute versus wait, we need to put the brakes on until we find the right fit. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I, it's um, it's probably one of the hardest things in the early stages of a startup. Um, you know, you it, it, I, I, I said it earlier, but this is easily the best group of startup folks I've ever worked with that are gelling so well and the culture is fantastic. And so I think part of it was luck, you know. Um, part of it was we spent a lot of time um, you know, assembling this, this team and ensuring that they were a good fit. So yeah, it can, it's an, it's an easy part to rush it. Uh, but you know, we all know that it's just, it's very costly if you rush it and make mistakes. Um, because then, you know, then you're all of a sudden, let's say hire a head of product in four months, first four months of a startup, you realize the head of product doesn't work. <laughs> you know, they, that's a major lost, lost six or seven months. And so, yeah. Oh, so critical to, to really recognize that you got to get it right. And if you know, look, if you don't, you don't like these things happen, but um, spend the time up front to make sure that you've done everything you can to, to put the right, it's it, put the right people on the bus and then put the right people in the right seats. It's that good to great is one of these business books I, I read and I, I often reflect back to because that's right people on the bus, right people in the right seats and um, you'll be in good shape. Any other books that you'd recommend uh, or even like podcasts other than the venture Viz podcast, of course, but uh, anything else that you uh, would recommend? Oh boy. Um, I don't read a lot of business books. Good to great is one I, I often reference. Um, I just read beneath the scarlet sky, which is a fantastic historical fiction book uh, podcasts. Boy, my, I, so I drove up to um, Vermont quite a bit last year. Um, don't listen to a lot of business podcasts, um, but Serial was was a great one that I, that I enjoyed. Yeah, that's good to not always be business 100% of the time. So it's yeah. good to have some of those more entertaining type of uh, things to, to discover too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you like to do for fun outside of work? Obviously skiing and... Yep. Yep. Married, three kids, uh, three girls, 15, oh. 13, and 11. So they keep me busy. Um, I, 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 I almost have three teenagers. Uh, well, let's see, we ski a lot in the, in the winter, um, do a lot of, you know, boating and, um, in the summer and, uh, you know, the kids are in sports and so that keeps us busy and try to do quite a bit of travel too. We love sort of traveling around New England and, um, we try to get to Vermont 
you know, quite a bit as well. So do some hiking and be outside. That's great. Yeah, I have I have two girls, 15 and 13. So excellent. In the same world, you know, yeah. two teenagers at home. Yeah, so it's right. Uh, so far, so good. I guess, you know, yeah. my mom always yeah. said, or someone said to me, um, you know, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. So, you know, I, 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 no big problems yet, but I think there are probably a couple around the corner. <laughs> yeah, no, we've been blessed to, to, uh, to good kids. So Excellent. hopefully it continues and we don't have some of those horror stories. <laughs> but, um, okay, so one last question. Yeah. Uh, so you diversified the craft beer selection at your store, it sounds like. So what's the top selling uh, craft beer at, at, at your grocery store? Oh boy, it is still Heady Topper. Heady Topper um, still, okay. You know, those yeah. guys just built such a great brand. Although Lawson's Sip Sunshine, I think is probably a close second or maybe have suppressed that those two are our top sellers. But there's so many amazing selections up there. And so Burlington Beer Company and uh, a bunch of others that uh, um, I, we have some in the fridge right behind me. So, um, yeah, your employees are lucky. You're just, you can bring that stuff back with you. Yeah. They have a steady supply of that. Absolutely. Right. Right. So that's, <laughs> you get I, sip of sunshine anywhere now. That's like kind of like, you know, guys. it's lost its luster based on their distribution. Right. Those guys are very big. Yes. Yeah. They built quite a, a, a facility up in Waitsfield that you should visit if you ever get up there. It's a big, yeah, actually, um, we're going to be making a trip uh, up towards Stratton this uh, holiday break. So, Excellent. Yeah, so it'll be fun. I'll be up there as well for Thanksgiving. Oh, awesome. Sounds good. Hopefully skiing. Yeah, like we haven't done a, the big family ski vacation yet. Like uh, it could be it could be an experience. Uh, like I can get down the mountain. I don't <laughs> think we're going to be doing like double black diamonds or anything, but right. uh, yeah. we're excited just to you know do that whole experience. We haven't done it yet. We've done the beachy things, but not the ski getaway type. Excellent. Things. Well, it's, you know, one of those, we, we live in New England, so you got to do something in the winter or otherwise you kind of climb the wall. So it's one of those sports you can do as a family and there aren't a lot of those, you know, so um, we enjoy it. Well, Eric, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background in terms of all the great companies you've been a part of or started or, and then of course, Mabel, what you guys are up to now. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.